Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is May 27th. Brendan here. No Andy. I'm solo. Andy is somewhere in the middle of America or Western America in the Rockies making his way to California on the move. We did a, uh, we're going to do a Flashback Friday segment with Brentley Romine of Golf Channel. It's going to be a segment and then Brentley just, you know, took it away and it became an entire episode. So I told Andy, don't bother, stay on the road. And uh, we'll just kind of make this an entire, I don't know what you call it, flashlight, mini flashlight on uh, flashback, I should say, on the 2020, uh, 2012 NCAA championships won by Texas over, over Alabama featuring Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, uh, Thomas Peters, many other. I think Brentley said there were 36 guys who turned pro uh, and, and I think made it in some form or fashion in the pros. And it was held at Riviera. So it's the 10-year anniversary of that. Uh, there's minimal video. Uh, Brentley did a few months kind of compiling this oral, oral history, which you can read at golfchannel.com. There was a little bit of a delay, so uh, I didn't jump in a lot of back and forth here because we just start talking over each other. Uh, but it was really informative, kind of a good look back, thorough look back at the 2012 NCAAs, which you know he calls, and I think many other call the best ever on the men's side. So uh, this is a pretty comprehensive Precision Pro Flashback Friday. Hope you enjoy it. We may have a bonus Friday episode coming to you tomorrow afternoon if we get this uh, first official field list for the Live London event, uh, which is rumored, speculated to be coming on Friday. Uh, I may call Andy. We may do kind of an instant reaction to some of these names we've heard about if and when they become official uh, on Friday. That may be a bonus episode. So uh, look out for that if you're listening to this as well. But thanks again to Brentley for his time. And uh, let's get to uh, that interview. All right. For this Precision Pro Flashback Friday, we're going to do a little different one. We're going to welcome in a friend of the program, Brentley Romine of Golf Channel. What's your title, Brentley? What are you like? Senior writer, senior this, that, or the other? You know, uh... I don't think I'm senior writer. I think I'm writer, junior, or staff writer. Okay. All yeah. right. Sophomore writer, junior writer. Okay. Um, Brentley, thank you for joining us. Uh, it is brought to you. We're going to talk NCAAs. Brentley is sort of an NCAA fiend, college amateur golf fiend. He's an ace. He's, he's uh, the most, one of the most informed voices on it. So we're privileged to have him uh, join us, but he, he, he did a look back in, in advance of uh, next week's, is it next week? It's kind of this weekend, right? Individual stroke play starts. Yeah. Stroke play starts Friday, nice. runs through Monday okay. and then match play final Wednesday. Okay. Uh, it is brought to you by Precision Pro. As you know, it's the official range finder of the shotgun start and the fried egg. Uh, you can go to precisionprogolf.com uh, and use the promo code shotgun20. It gets you $20 off. Uh, the NX9, which is an old standby, reliable, old faithful range finder for me, 
Uh, you said they are allowed at NCAA's, right? They correct, and I'm I I don't range know if they finders. do like those those people who do all the ball counts and rangefinder counts and stuff. So I don't know what percentage of of players oh. in the field use it, but I'm sure a few of them have some precision pros. We should get them to the Burley Boys. I think that seems like that feels like a natural synergy. If they're not, if they don't already have like an official rangefinder for the Burley Boys, maybe we'll get a special logo put on the side of it uh precision pro but uh they are you know they are a small company this is what they focus on range finders they got a speaker too but it's not you know a little you know piece of a larger company where they're just trying it's their bread and butter uh their their sole focus uh you get lifetime battery replacement you have actual people on the other end of the uh customer service line when us idiots malfunction or, or order to the wrong address or somehow do something stupid that breaks it uh, they have people on the other end of the phone line willing and able to answer your questions and sometimes make it right with uh, at their expense and not yours. So uh, go to precisionprogolf.com. Use the promo code SHOTGUN20. You get $20 off uh, and you know get your bag set as uh, summer really kicks into high gear as Memorial Day weekend uh, is upon us. Uh, all right. So this is a Flashback Friday segment because... You did a huge feature on the 2012 NCAA championship. That is 10 years ago. So we're flashing back. That was at Riviera. It's on golfchannel.com. I encourage everyone to go read it. There's video elements. There's, you've got all sorts of stuff uh, tied in. It's an oral history uh, with a bunch of contributors. Uh, I think that like the subhead or sort of like the promo around it is the greatest NCAAs ever. And I guess I'd ask, why does it get that label? I think it's just because of all the players and the setting. And as you know, with the men and women now playing at the same course, it's on TV. The options are certainly limited to where this championship can go. And Riviera and Prairie Dunes really in 2014 was the last kind of solo host um, where we could get some of these classic golf courses. And I'm not an architecture snob or expert by any means but i think riviera is a pretty good golf course um so just sure. with the the setting in hollywood uh, the players were put up at the lowe's hotel on the beach in santa monica which at the time was probably the nicest place that any of them have ever stayed and i mentioned the, the cast of characters i mean we're talking about jordan speed justin thomas patrick cantley brooks kepka abe answer patrick rogers i mean there's over three dozen guys who are either currently on the PGA tour or have been on the PGA tour in the last decade. So just an overall great week. And the, the golf was pretty good as well. Why will it never be? What, what are the limitations because it's uh, men's and women's in the same spot because a club won't loan their course for two weeks, two full weeks. Is that what we're talking about? Basically? Yeah. And, okay. and it's, it's just a lot, it's a big ask for some of this membership. And I, I'm sure if membership wanted it and I'm sure maybe they're, are some clubs that the members would love to have back-to-back weeks. But I think in the current setup that we have now, we got one more year at Greyhawk after this, then we're going to the Costa. Gil Hans is redesigning that course, and I think it's going to be there for three years. So for the foreseeable future, um, I, I just don't see you know this championship ever going back to a Riviera or a Prairie Dunes or Honors course. And it's it's – I mean, it's really sort of found a sweet spot being in primetime West Coast, right? I mean, it's certainly Golf Channel, NCAA, they want that too. It's really pop. Yeah, I, I, 
I know you guys are big on time zones, but I, I think West Coast time <laughs> zone is is the ideal time slot for uh, okay. for for us at, at at Golf Channel. Okay, so set up uh, set up 2012 Riviera. I think a lot of people know that like Spieth and Thomas were involved. I think Spieth had some big bomb of a putt, right? And that was like a thing. But like, what? Let talk. Walk us through the whole scene in college golf in 2012 that sort of culminated at Riviera men's yeah yeah so you really had two teams Cal was kind of the third team with Homa and and Hagee but they they really didn't have that great season until the following year when they won like 11 or 12 times so it was really Alabama and Texas they were one two the entire year Texas had a great fall Jordan Spieth uh that was actually the first event I ever covered at golf week was Isleworth in the fall Spieth wins by gosh, like six or seven shots. So Texas is really good. Alabama comes alive in the spring. They have not only Justin Thomas, but some names that some really diehard fans will remember and Corey Whitsitt and Bobby Wyatt, who are both now out of the game and working in medical sales and for Goldman Sachs. But uh, so you had the, the two juggernauts and really the story behind Texas is the fact that their head coach, John Fields, was hired there in 1998 had some great years, but then went through about seven or eight years of really poor results. And long story short, the boosters, the alumni were kind of calling for his job. And he really felt that pressure. It stressed him out. He ended up gaining a bunch of weight up to 275 pounds, which if you see him on TV this week, he's considerably, uh, the, the weight loss is pretty impressive, but the, the stress on him really, it, it was kind of wearing on him. And he said it was to the point to where it was, it was literally killing him. So that was kind of the lead up to this tournament and that this was basically to save his job. And the players didn't really know much about it, but I think they can kind of tell what was going on with him. And, um, and then, so they enter uh, the NCAA championship finishing second, I think at regionals, they had lost big 12s. Um, and he was basically in you a said contract. There's two here. teams, right? Texas and yeah. Alabama. Yeah, but yeah, like, those were why the was two. Texas a juggernaut like this year? Like, why? Well, what if they expect if they were such a juggernaut? Like, why was he feeling the hot seat? You know what I mean? Well, because the only thing that matters at Texas, right, is national championships, and yeah. they hadn't sniffed one in almost a decade. And to be honest, and I kind of left this part out. Halfway through regionals, his assistant athletic director had come up to Coach Fields and said that they were going to renew his contract. And so that kind of took a weight off him, but he hadn't signed anything. So he still went through that whole week feeling that he was playing for or his players were playing for his job, basically. And he kind of felt I mean, he, he definitely felt that pressure and he, he, he had a great team. I, I mean, we mentioned Jordan Spieth, but Dylan Fratelli was also, you know, favorite of the Frugal program frugal fratelli was... was on the team we, we, had, I wonder... we had at that lowe's hotel it must have been just a whole new world for frugal fratelli probably maybe set him on the course to never you know I, go back i'm again. sure he still has those little bottles of shampoo and bars of soap that he collected throughout the seven or eight days while, while he was there but they had julio vegas who was jonathan vegas's brother uh tony hockula and Cody Gribble. So the, the alligator man was there. That oh. This was before the, the big Bay Hill alligator fan. But. Sanderson. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. So they were they were juggernaut. Alabama's a juggernaut. Um, but like, I mean, how often we just saw Stanford win. I mean, golf is just more of a, you know, whimsical 
sport, right? It's not like necessarily football or basketball where the horses always, you know, are good enough to get, you know, you have a bad day. Right. Uh, so why, I mean, did, how did this proceed where the juggernauts ended up being, you know, really kind of there at the end? Yeah. And ever since match play started in 2009 with the men, I think until 2018, when Oklahoma state won at home, the number one seed and really actually it's just the number one seed in a stroke play that the best team had won a few times. Um, But we were just coming off back-to-back years where Augusta state had shocked the world back-to-back years with Patrick Reed and Henrik Norlander. Uh, But I I think it all just kind of lined up. Uh, uh, Alabama, they got off to a hot start. They led stroke play wire to wire. There was really no trouble there, but Texas really had to battle. I mean, kind of an average opening round. They were sixth place after the first round. And then the second round is kind of what everyone still talks about in that Jordan Spieth shot 79. And I know you've played Riviera. You've played the 10th hole. He hit four bunker shots on that hole and made a triple. And then he proceeded to make a double on the next hole to par five. So he goes triple, double. Uh, Texas drops all the way to, I believe, 16th or 17th place. And they really needed a, a special one. And that third round of stroke play, but really the, the key shot for Texas in those three rounds was, was for Telly's 18th hole that second day. Spieth had shot 79, Gribble shot 79 and Fields had actually walked up the steps of the clubhouse to scoring with Gribble because he was about to get a uh, slow play penalty. And every shot counts, obviously at the NCAAs, they end up not giving Gribble a penalty, but Fields is standing up on that putting green and he looks down and he sees Fratelli and his, his assistant coach, Ryan Murphy, in the fairway. I think it was like 181 yards and Fratelli one hops it in. So he holds out for Eagle. That kind of injects a little bit of life, gives them the spark that they needed, and they go out the next day and shoot even par and get the third seed in match play. How, who, who, who are some of the other main, like the pros that we know now? I mean, a lot of, we've talked a lot about Alabama and Texas. You mentioned Homa and Hagee. Who were some of the other, you said there were three dozen. Oh, yeah, it's, that, it's insane. I mean, anything from Harold Varner was there that week, Denny McCarthy. Uh, I, I got the leaderboard up now. It, it's, it's incredible. Um, but Tom, Thomas Peters, uh, Thomas Peters ended up, Thomas. Uh, yeah, Thomas Peters ended up winning the individual medal that week, individual championship. Actually finished on the ninth hole a couple hours before, um, one by three shots. There really wasn't any drama sur- surrounding the individual. But if you look at just the top 10, and I'm going to read them off because it's pretty impressive. Thomas Peters, Julian Brune, who has played on the European tour forever, uh, Tyler McCumber, who's on tour, Patrick Cantlay, Corey Connors, Corey Whitsett, Blaine Barber, JT, Max Homa, Keith Mitchell, Patrick Rogers, and then Will Crop from from Oklahoma, who didn't make it on tour. So the top 10 had all but two tour players. It's yeah. it's insane. But the, the other kind of story about stroke play is the playoff between Kent State and Florida State for the eighth spot, the right to play Alabama in the quarterfinals. They go out in the playoff. There's, it's obviously five versus five. They go off in, in two fivesomes off the 18th hole. And the first fivesome is like a couple of guys that no one's heard of, Kyle Kamee, Kevin Miller. Uh, I believe Chase Seifert was also in uh, that fivesome. Mr. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Florida Mr. triple Fl- crown, right? The probably probably well open. before he was Mr. Florida. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but then in that second fivesome, you had Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, 
Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes, and Taylor Pendrick. Five tour pros, all in the same same fivesome. Kent State doesn't make a par. It's an aggregate playoff. Best four scores count. They don't make a par, and they advance. Daniel Berger, flashback, just a day earlier, a night earlier, he three putts uh, for bogey for double bogey uh, to get them into the playoff or knock them back into the playoff, and then he makes mm. a mess again, makes another double in the playoff, and. For this story, I was talking to Brooks Kepka at match play, I believe it was. And you know how Kepka is. He 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 can't really yeah. talk about anything seriously. But he goes, What do I remember? He goes, I remember Daniel Berger choking. He choked. Like I'm like, wow, that's pretty harsh. He but said he did that now. He said that now. He says that now, like whatever, ten years yeah. later. He didn't say he, it. Was there was there criticism? He probably said it then too. But yeah. Maybe yeah, and, and, and Berger was was just a freshman, and 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 Berger said like that he probably wasn't as prepared for that. But Kent State ends up getting through, um, gets to play Alabama in that first round, and there's actually a funny story. So that was the first year that the coaches got to do the pairings for match play. So now the top seed gets to defer or throw a name up there, and yeah. they do kind of President's Cup style back and forth. And Kent or Alabama didn't really know much about Kent State. Kent State's coach Herb Page didn't really know much about Alabama other than Justin Thomas was really good and they had some great players. But he, he ends up throwing out his sacrificial lamb, which is the senior. He sells insurance now, Kevin Miller. And Herb goes, you know, honest to God, I think he could beat JT. But if you want to call him a sacrificial lamb, you can. And Kevin Miller just get, goes out and gets drubbed. Like it wasn't even close, but they, they fought back. I think Scott Strohmeyer, who was that, who bombs it injuries have kind of held him back. He was up on Pendrith. Pendrith came storming back. They almost shocked the world. They almost pulled out the upset, but little old Kent state there. What's what's the season Canadian, ended in the quarters. What's the Canadian connection there? Well, how does, how does, how do all these Canadians end up in Kent, Ohio? Near so, my old stopping so, ground. So Herb Page, the longtime coach who has since retired, he retired a few years ago. He's Canadian. He actually played football at Kent State with Nick Saban. Okay. Uh, so so friends with Saban, but he's he's Canadian. So just that pipeline. And okay. a, a quick aside story because I know you guys love tangents here. Yeah. I think it was like the Toyota Junior World or the some international event. Um, I don't think it was the Palmer Cup, but it was some international event. And they had asked Herb Page to captain the U.S. team. And they're saying, Herb, you know, we'd love for you to, to take these few guys over to Japan to compete. And, he, and he's like, well, I appreciate it. But, you know, I'm Canadian, right? And so the guy's like, let me get back to you. And eventually, since they, they felt bad that they offered it, they let him coach the American team one year at the <laughs> Toyota Junior World or whatever it was. Um, so Peters won the individual. Didn't he almost get... Like I don't know if it's DQ'd or penalized, right? There was no drama, but did he he sort of screwed up on the course? Yeah. So uh, first sports. round, he had never played Riviera before, which a lot of the guys hadn't. I mean, even Max Homa said that was the first time that practice round that he had even played the course. Uh-huh. But so so Thomas he, he had the first round. Actually, he, had, he didn't have the first round lead. Some guy named Anton Arboleda from UCLA did. But uh, Peter shoots a pretty solid score in the first round. And he goes to sign his scorecard and. He, he thought the opening hole was a par four and, and he was adamant. He's like, that's a par, he's like, it's a par four. And they're like, no, it's a par five. So he almost signed for the wrong score, but luckily uh, avoided it. And it should be a par four. I mean, it's, uh, although I guess 
par is what what is andy's line par is, right, par is irrelevant what, what did they irrelevant. just say get through one and two and nine uh, or eight strokes right because two is pretty brutal at riviera right it's a hard hole and, and but one one is is I, they they keep it a five for the la or whatever it's called now the genesis they just keep, they keep which is i think it's statistically one like the easiest hole on tour every year or one of the easiest i mean you have the Gotta be TBC dartboards and the dome in Palm Springs, but um. all right. So what else from like the the earliest portions before we get into the the final like stroke play drama, uh, uh, team team portion I should say match play drama. What else from like the early LA scene, uh, early kind of uh, stroke play rounds? Yeah, so this is actually before the tournament e- uh, even began. So the pre that they do a players dinner every year, and it's normally pretty boring, pretty dry. Half the teams don't go. But they had this one at the ballroom at the Lowe's, and it was this big deal. Um, I don't know if it was for this, but Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers actually played in like some sort of band during the festivities, um, which was actually pretty cool. But so the players get in. They're at, it's after their practice round. They kind of mosey on in. And Scott Simpson, who played at USC, he's now the head coach at, at Hawaii, he was speaking. And as some of the coaches said uh, – he kind of lost the room pretty early, like five minutes in, just no one had any idea who he was. And he goes, all right, well, I brought a friend with me tonight. And he motions over to the head table and this guy in this khaki suit gets up and it's Bill Murray. And he gets up there and he, and he walks and he's got a drink in his hand and he goes, everyone round of applause for my friend, Scott. And then, you know, he kind of gets a round of applause <laughs> and then it's another long pause. And he goes, Scott, you nailed it. <laughs> and everyone just starts cracking up. And then he goes and sits back down and then he waddles back up to the mic and he just starts ripping Scott Simpson for like 10 minutes. He's, he's like, how many of you are wearing a horizontal striped shirt? Stand up right now. Yeah, and everyone yeah. stands up or a few guys. And he goes, my friend Scott hasn't been able to wear that shirt in 40 years. So he was just like okay. cracking up. But then he gave a really good message like you talk about thanking people and how don't just say thanks like give them an example of how they helped you and be sincere about it so i think coma had a good line he's like we were expecting caddyshack and he really gave us like a life lesson so it was cool okay i don't think that would ever be top yeah made made an impression on these whatever 18 to you know 21 year old kids uh probably better than him terrorizing the match at seminal (laughs) driving relief broadcast which he kind of this this was probably back yeah. when he was still a little bit funny. I think he said that the shtick okay. has kind of all gotten right. old. All right, all right, yeah, Chicago zone, Bill Murray. Okay, so anything else from the a stroke play that you felt like that made this the greatest uh, sort of NCAA's ever, or should we jump into the match play bracket? Let's or? let's jump let's jump into match play. Okay, so what are the seeds? Alabama. All right, so you have Alabama one, right? versus Kent State, the eight. Um, and, yep. and as we know, Alabama, Kent State gave them a run, but Alabama yep. ends up advancing. You had Texas as a three seed. They played Washington, the six, who has C.T. Pan, uh, the bread man. Um, uh, Chris Williams, who is now the assistant, I believe, at Minnesota, but he was the world number one amateur. Not at that time, but right around that time. Okay. Uh, the the four five was UCLA and Oregon. And then... Okay. Uh, actually, sorry, uh, UCLA was the two seed and Oregon was the seven. And then the four five was Cal. Um, 
versus San Diego State, which that San Diego State team had JJ Spawn on it. So pretty mm-hmm. an, an, another tour guy, recent tour yeah. winner. Um, yep. But yeah, the, the the thing that stands out about the quarters is the fact that Texas just absolutely steamrolled Washington. I mean, it was five nothing. It it wasn't close, and Cody Gribble had a good line. And I don't want to I don't want to cuss on the pod, but he basically he's like, we you kicked the cuss. crap out of him. No, okay. I, I I don't want to cuss, but uh, okay. Okay. He, he's like, we we basically kicked the the s out of him, and okay. it was just a a line when he said that. It just kind of summed everything up. But um, that that was a good match, or that wasn't a good match. Uh, the Oregon uh, UCLA match. I, I think the, the key was for these quarters, and this was the first, like, as I mentioned, this is the first time the coaches had to do the pairings because before it was just done based on the golf stat ranking. You put your best ranked player against theirs. And so a lot of the coaches didn't really have strategy, but some of them did. So you had, like, like Casey Martin actually said that he had talked about putting his worst player, Jonathan Wu, against Patrick Cantlay, knowing that that was going to be Cantley was probably going to win, and he didn't want yeah. his two first team All Americans, Daniel Mernicki and Eugene Wong, you know, losing a point and losing to Cantley. So he basically gave UCLA that point, and they ended up getting the job done and moving on. So, um, but yeah, I, quarters weren't super exciting, um, but but really the the semis is is where it, it, things got really good. All right, so take us to the semis. I, I kind of want to ask you about some specific characters and like tension and stuff because you talk about Gribble, you know, basically calling him out saying he kicked their ass. And then <laughs> uh, it does seem like an era when there was maybe less, like, less social media. Social media existed, but just the less ways to step in it. So you could kind of just let it rip, maybe. Maybe the kids weren't as trained to be protected, but we'll get into oh. the tension here in a minute. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, Go ahead. You got something to say about that? Well, it's just funny because so Texas did or the Longhorn Network did. Uh, they were there. They were really the only because remember, this wasn't on TV. Yeah. And the only cameras that were there, the NCAA had a live stream where they had 18 green, 10, uh, 14, I believe it was. And they could pivot a camera to 17. So that's all you saw. Um, and then the Longhorn, Net- the Longhorn Network was there. Golf Channel had a camera just for highlights. Um, so Burko was out there with a couple cameramen, but so the Longhorn network did a one year later, look back. It kind of like this oral history that I did, but just one year later that it was, and it was just Texas and Gribble just unfiltered. And I think his term at that time about that match, which we just opened up a big old can of whoop ass on him. So Gribble is kind of the one that's unfiltered, uh, as we'll find out in a little bit for telly kind of gets a little off the rails too, but, uh, yeah, for telly teaser. (laughs) All right, so semis, it gets tense, more dramatic. We've, we've got, take us through the semis. Yeah, so the, the first semi was Alabama and Cal, and Max Homa and, and JT are in that first match. And Coach Sewell from Bama said that he really didn't think too much about the pairings. He just, he had an order that he wanted to go in. He wanted JT out first. He wanted uh, Hunter Hamrick, his senior, out last, um, and then, I think it was he wanted Strohmeyer in the middle because and he wanted Whitsitt and Wyatt flanked around him, and uh, I think he read like the Paul Azinger book, Cracking the Code. So he didn't really care about the matchups. He just knew that he had five great players and he was just going to line them out there. So that's how Homa ends up getting pitted against JT, and and Homa makes this uh, birdie putt on seventeen, beats Justin, um, and then it it all came down to. 
Hunter Hamrick and Pace Johnson, I believe it was, who was kind of the fifth man on that team. And and they're playing 18 and Sewell was talking about how Pace has this really strong grip. And he knew that at some point it was going to give out on him. And so on 18, he, he just flares one way right. And it's almost on, I believe that's the third hole, uh, but it's in the rough. And Pace has to hit this yeah, big hook, three. this huge hook around the tree. And he hits it to like 10 feet, and but ends up missing the putt. So that ended up being the clinching point. Another kind of key shot and talking to Coach Desimone, who was a longtime Cal coach, was Stalter uh, in his match against, I think it was Bobby Wyatt, um, 360 lipped out a putt on 17 that was kind of crucial but Sewell actually said that that was that was the match that he was even more nervous about than the Texas match because it was like getting to the final was such a big deal because Alabama had never won a national championship before of course they went on to win back-to-back the next two years but just getting there like there was just so much pressure on Sewell in, in his mind and they were able to do it but probably the funniest moment of that match happened afterwards. So Cal's really upset. There's a video in the oral history too, of Max Homa basically crying in his post round interview and they're in the van, they're going back to the hotel. And before Des could even put the van in park, they're pulling in, I guess it's like the valet area. All of a sudden he just hears John wall and Max Homa and Michael Kim slide open the van door while it's still moving and run out and go take a picture with John wall. So it ended up being kind of a happy ending to a, a sad, a sad day for the bears. Brutal loss. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So and the then, other one, who do we have? Texas, uh, Texas and Oregon. And speaking of kind of unfiltered pre, you know, social media heyday. So coach fields and gribble commented on, on the appearance of the Oregon players and just the fact that, they wore bucket hats. And I think Fields, actually, I'm going to, I got the quote, quote right here. But uh, he goes, they were kind of a ragtag team. They didn't tuck in their shirts. They wore funny hats. They didn't look the part. Uh, oh. Like Dan- <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Mirnicki was this big character. And they had other guys in there who were a little chubby. So Oregon was the original Burley Boys. And then <laughs> Gribble goes, it's just like, man, y'all really are just a bunch of ugly ducks. So, so there was, uh, I mean, this was a team that didn't look the part, but they played really well. And, uh, we talk about kind of matching guys up and sacrificial lambs. This wasn't the case in this match. Eugene Wong played Jordan Spieth. So you had two first team all Americans there. And then you had two more first team all Americans and Fratelli, uh, playing, playing Mirnicki and Spieth and Fratelli both lose. Wong had a chip in on 10. Um, really never let Jordan in that match. I think he led the whole way. And then Mirnicki, Eagle 17, and nearly holds out an 18 and birdies to beat Dylan. So they have to get three points from Gribble, Vegas, and Hakula. And so it all comes down to Julio Vegas. He's playing Andrew Vajaro, who is a senior, kind of tested. And he birdies the last three holes. And he makes about an 8- to 12-footer on the final hole. And just this huge fist pump kind of blacks out. Uh, but that was kind of the, you know, you, you, you kind of see it and you saw it with the women's NCAAs this year where Stanford almost loses to Auburn in the semis. And yeah. it's kind of that moment where, uh, you know, Brooks say made that, you know, two putt on, on the last hole. It's kind of this big high. And then they go into the final and then they end up getting the job done. And that was kind of the, 
the moment for Texas is, is Vegas making that putt uh, when they thought their season was on, was just about over. It was hanging by a thread. And he basically, I think the quote was, Spieth said he carried Texas to the final, and, and, and he really did. All right, so final, we have Alabama and Texas. You, you've claimed they were the two juggernauts. It's like the one, two not necessarily in seeding, but, but sort of the matchup people wanted going into the, you know, postseason. Um, we're like Spieth and Th- who were the best players in the country at that point? We're like Spieth and Thomas considered like the best. I know Peter's won stroke play, but like we're, we're Spieth and Thomas in, in terms of the overall sample size thought to be the two best college. Yeah. Or- yeah. They were, they were the number one in rank or one and two ranked players in the country separated by, I think, tenths of a point in either golf week or golf stat or both uh jt was probably the slight favorite for player of the year and freshman of the year um okay and so it, it was super close and that's kind of the the cool story behind the scenes that i don't think many people knew about is both speed and jt lobbied their coaches to to play each other so they they end up playing in the final and you normally you don't want to do that um you you want to try to get better matchups, but I, I think everyone wanted to see it. And coach Seawall knew that everyone wanted to see it. He said he wanted to see it. And he, he said, honestly, it probably wasn't the, it didn't set us up the best to win, but it was the match he really wanted to see. And he thought it was the best for, for college golf. So they did it. I mean, Spieth went to field and said, what? you know, whatever you have to do, I want to play JT because you know, he's a great player, but when I get that guy on the golf course, I have his number. Was that the first match out or the last so, match out? So or that was the, that was the, sorry, I'm putting you on the I spot. I think it was the, about it. no, it was the fourth match out. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so, so the matchups were really line them up like this. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I believe that Spieth got thrown out there first and that Sewell yeah Spieth got thrown out first and then Sewell countered with JT but the matchups were Bobby Wyatt and Hakula and I had mentioned that Sewell didn't want to change the order so but in this final he did and the reason he did that I think is because of the Spieth you know JT kind of scenario but it actually ended up unlocking Bobby Wyatt so Bobby Wyatt we know great junior golfer shot 57 or 58 at like the Dothan Masters or something and you know great player uh sophomore but second team all-american he actually went on the next two years to play in that leadoff match and or that yeah that that leadoff match and never lost so he went 6 and 0 i think he led off at the Walker Cup too didn't lose um, so that kind of unlocked him and he was struggling with the swing a little bit that week. And, uh, I think that just kind of freed him up to just to go out and run. And, um, mm-hmm. that, that was kind of Alabama's mantra the entire year was let him run. And it was modeled after the, the movie secretariat where the lady throws up her hand and says, let him run Ronnie. And that's what they did. Yeah. And so I think that, uh, you know, that was kind of the literal, let him run. It was let him run Bobby instead of let him run Ronnie. So what happens in the finals, uh, specifically with Spieth and JT, and then I guess overall five versus five. Um, obviously, we know Texas wins, but but it sounds like it got a little tense for Telly. Got a little started popping off a little bit, stirring the pot. Uh, what happens in this this confrontation? 
Yeah, so the I, I didn't go through all the matches, but we'll just go through them based on talking about what happened. So that anchor match was Hunter Hamrick versus versus Julio Vegas, and Vegas basically just ran ran out of gas. But the story behind this match is the night before, after they did the pairing. So Golf Week at the time had Ron Balicki, uh Lance Ringler, yeah. Sean Martin, and Ryan Labner. So those were the four that were there. Um, they had a photographer, so they really had everyone, and they did picks, and it was a big deal. And no one picked Hunter Hamrick, and Hunter saw that, and Sewell saw that, but they didn't talk to each other about it. And so Sewell gathered the guys at their meeting later that night and was like, "Guys, this is a big day. Um, you know, you've you've earned this, but just so you know, I'm going to have to sit Hunter out because golf week. You know, they don't think he can win. Uh, I just don't want to embarrass him by sending him out there because he's got no shot." And so that was kind of the thing, like on the first tee that next morning, Seawall's like, all right, Hunter, I'm going to let you play the first hole. And then you got to play number two because you got to come back to the clubhouse. But after that, I'm, I'm going to pull you off. And Hamrick was like six up after like six up at the turn. He's like, you want to come in? Because if you lose a six up lead to this guy, it's going to be really embarrassing. He's like, just give me a few more holes. So he ends up beating Julio Vegas six and five. That was the first point. The second point was also Alabama. So they were up two nothing. That was Bobby Wyatt chipping in against Tony Hockula. Um, and there, there's a great photo. Um, so after Wyatt chips in on 18, Sewell loses his mind. And he bear hugs Wyatt and he lifts him up in the air and is just going crazy. Like, like they had won. And it was a premature yeah. celebration. And I think Sewell felt yeah. really bad about it. But uh, he goes... I think it was like something like I still ain't never been to a place like that in my life ever. Like just this, just sheer elation. So they get the first two points that kind of happens right around the same time. And then we get to the story that we've all heard about um, is the Spieth JT match, which before they teed off, I don't know if it was an hour before two hours, three hours before, but JT gets named player of the year. He gets the Nicholas Award. He gets the Phil Mickelson Award as the freshman of the year. And that just kind of pisses Spieth off. And and JT actually said, like, that I wish they would have announced that a different day, maybe after the fact. Yeah. Because that gave him just right. that. And a guy like Spieth, he doesn't get – and at the time especially, he didn't get a lot of bulletin board stuff. Like, he, he didn't have that kind of – I mean, because everyone always told him how great he was. So this was like kind of pre. A duct, there was a there was a duct tape element this week, though. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Seventy nine. He shot seventy nine. <laughs> true. In the stroke play. Well, like, so there he, was a little. So he made was a actually, seven on ten. Yeah, he 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 was struggling. Like even going back to regionals and and conference, um, he, he was. I think this was in a golfing story. I think Smartin uh, may have written this one. But he was like bunting balls like off the tee. Like he was just guiding it with the driver. He was completely lost. You know, he shoots 79 in the second round at Riv. Uh, but he ends up shooting the 69 in that third round. Um, but, yeah, but still, he's Jordan Spieth. And at the time, you know, everyone's telling him how how, how great he is still. And that was just yeah. kind of the last thing that JT really needed. And so Spieth went out and really had control of that match the whole way, kind of led one up, two up. Uh, JT clawed back, made like a eagle on 11 from the fringe. And then in the 15th fairway, Spieth has 190-something and holes out. And that that moved him three up with three holes to play. Ends up uh, getting the first point on the board for Texas. But I thought Coach Fields 
had a really great, um, a great quote about this, that shot. He goes, so, so Jordan uh, hits a really good drive. JT's in the, in the right uh, fairway bunker. Pin was in the middle inside this trough, both sides of the green pitch toward the middle. Jordan hits this four iron utilizing the hill on the right side. And that ball goes up the hill. And then like a slow death, almost like that scene from Saving Private Ryan, when that guy's going to stab the other guy in the heart and he's just looking into his eyes and the other guy knows he's going to die. And he just says, hey, just calm down. But he's going to put that knife in his heart. And that ball just slowly trickled toward the hole and boom, goes right in. So I I just thought that was a – I almost wanted to put a gif because there's a lot of gifs, especially in this third part. I wanted to put the gif for that, but it was just too graphic. I I, I couldn't – it was just yeah. a little bit, yeah, a, little. A, l- a little bit too much. But I thought that was a great description okay. of of that shot. So, um, and then Gribble gets a point against Strohmeyer, uh, closes Strohmeyer out on seventeen, and uh, so that sets the stage for the second match out, which ends up being the last match left on the course. Frugal Fratelli versus Corey Whitsett. and so the the thing about Fratelli, and I actually chatted with him. He was great uh, uh, during match play week over the phone. Um, for about an hour and he was talking about how that year and I, I, I kind of thought because so Smarten had had written a story back then about how Fratelli couldn't close like he had all these seconds and he struggled with closing and I thought that was just kind of a a media driven narrative and so I go I go you know I, there's a story and I'm not sure you know how much of it's true or not and not to throw Smarten under the, the bus because he's a great great reporter but uh but I go, there may have been some question marks to whether you kind of had the the medal to close out tournaments. And he goes, no, no, that was absolutely true. And he had finished second like four or five times. He choked big 12s mightily, made like a double and a triple. I think he played his last three holes in five or six over par. So it being all down to him, he had all this scar tissue of the fact that he's had all these chances to get the job done and he just couldn't. So he's playing Wits it. It's kind of back and forth. He makes a big up and down on 14. And then on on 16, and this is where Jeff Shackelford comes into the picture. Uh, So Shaq had, who who is a friend of Shotgun Start, I think, right? Is he he considered a friend of the program? Yep. Uh, so, so, So he had written a book about Riviera, and Texas knew that. And so Ryan Murphy, John Fields, they converse with Shaq, and he basically walks him through every hole. And then he gets to the 16th hole, and he's like, well, you know, they've made a lot of changes to the golf course, uh, but you know, and they've kind of taken away a lot of the sucker pens and stuff, but there's one traditional pen that they use on 16 for the LA Open, and it's all the way on the right. Whatever you do, just don't go at that pen. Hit it at the middle of the green, and you're at worst, you're going to have a 30-footer, two-putt for your par, and you get out of there. And so fast forward to the match, and Witsit goes right at the pen, and it's eating the flag up, and the ball kind of disappears because there's like you know a little mound or whatever. And Murphy yeah. and Fratelli think it's tight. They're like, oh, man. And I, and, and at that point, Witsit was, was one up, and – so they kind of talk about it and Fratelli goes, no, I'm going to stick to the, let's stick to the game plan. So he hits it in the middle of the green. They get up there, which it's in the rough, which it doesn't get up and down Fratelli two putts. And they actually, I think it was, it may have been, no, they were all square. And then Fratelli won that hole. So he goes one up, they get on 17 
which it has like a birdie putt, eight feet, something like that. And Murphy goes, Hey, uh, Hey D like he's going to make this putt. So just mentally prepare yourself. And which it makes the putt squares the match. And I got to find this quote from, from Fratelli because it's, it's, it's pretty great. So he, I I found it. So he goes, it seemed to amp Corey up and he got really excited. I was like, that's fine, dude. If you're going to be that excited, go ahead. Try and hit that 18 shot with a bunch of adrenaline. And so he was kind of just like, you yeah. know, trash talking him to me. But so, so Witsit freaks out. Uh, Scott Limbaugh, who's the head coach at, at Vanderbilt, freaks out. Um, he was the assistant at BAM at the time. And they get to the 18th hole and Witsit's got honor. So all square coming down to 18. And Witsit gets up, and all of a sudden he looks up, and there's this golf cart coming down the cart path just slowly. And the guy's oblivious and just keeps coming and coming. And in Fratelli's words, he goes, and he freaks out again. He's like, come on, man, this is ridiculous. And uh, so Witsit has to back off. And it turns out that it was a guy from the Longhorn Network who was in the golf cart, and he got Witsit out of his routine. And so Witsit gets back up there. Foul play there. Longhorn well, so, Network is a so, Texas. Some foul play. Bring so John in, 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 as a distraction. So John Fields of Texas insists that it wasn't Longhorn Network, but Sewell thinks otherwise. And it's actually this is a good exchange. So Fratelli says, turns out it was actually a Longhorn Network production guy. So you have Fratelli saying that. You have Ryan Murphy from Texas saying that. You have Sewell saying that. And then I told John Fields, and he laughs. He goes, No, no, it was just a guy. And then Sewell in this oral history, I have him clapping back. I feel comfortable. It was Longhorn network guy. And I'm going to stick with that. So, uh, there's kind of a debate on who it was, but I think it, I think it was a Longhorn network guy. So, so Witsit gets back up flares one. he's, he's a lefty. So flares one just in the left rough Fratelli hits a nice little baby cut and has the exact same yardage as he had in round two when he held out eight iron 181. Witsit goes first and he hits it long. So he's in the Kakuya. He's got like, he's dead basically. And Fratelli knocks it on to about 30 feet. And there was a, I think it was like a South African member of Riviera who had, who was like the Texas's unofficial host that week. And he was with them in the practice round. And this is kind of another uh, kind of wrinkle to it and some, kind of firsthand knowledge that Texas got about it. And he basically, during the practice round, he yep. said, long of 18, long left is dead. Like, whatever you do, don't hit it there. And what do you know? Witsit hits it there. Witsit gets up. And by this point, everyone's watching. Uh, Gribble and Strohmeyer are sprinting up 18 at the moment. JT and his dad and Limbaugh are kind of walking up. But everyone can kind of see it, except for Field, who I said he was 250, 275. It took him a little bit of time, he said, so he didn't quite get there in time. But everyone's watching, and Woodsit has to hit kind of this flop shot. And we're talking about a guy who probably, in a decade of covering college golf, probably top five short game, like out of anyone I've seen. Um, and not just me, like saying that, like a lot of people said he had one of the best short games, but he whiffs. He goes right under the ball, and kind of just puts his hands on his hips, and he's like, "Did I really just?" freaking do that right now and so he whiffs it he ends up hitting a good chip it's about two feet marks it so he's looking at bogey so fratelli's got a two putt for the win and 
kind of going back to Fratelli, kind of talking, you know, kind of throwing some people under the bus, maybe intentionally, maybe not intentionally, but he kind of went back to, so he's reading the putt and Murphy who walked with him the entire tournament gets up and is trying to help him read it. And he turns to him and he goes, Murph, I got it. Like step back. And Dylan said earlier that year at big 12s, when he had that, that explosion um, on the last hole, he is walking up and fields comes up hadn't seen him really all day and starts telling him all the yardages that all the other players have hit what they've hit and starts putting all the stuff in his head and dylan goes like what are you doing like i need to hit a golf shot and he ends up not hitting a good golf shot ends up making a mess and he kind of said you know if that taught me anything it was have the courage to stand up to your coach and tell him to back off (laughs) and so he did that uh, he did that to Murphy. He read the putt. And as the current Texas assistant, John Paul Hebert, who's now the, who was at the time, the volunteer assistant, he said like a rat running into a drain pipe, the ball just, I mean, it, it moved the hole back like, like two inches for Telly was not, he knew he had two butts to win, but he goes, I was not going to leave it short and have the crowd go. ooh, ooh, ooh. So he just yeah, rams yeah. it in the hole and wins. So, uh, so Texas wins and, uh, I, I think talking to the Bama guys, all of them kind of hoped that that putt did go in because this tournament is remembered as for Telly making the putt, not Corey Whitsitt whiffing the chip I and gotcha. messing up. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for Telly putts, everyone goes crazy. And one of the cooler moments, and this is actually caught on video too, um, that we uncovered from the Golf Week archives. This other guy, he's like this Texas super fan. He's like the John 316 guy, but for like Texas Longhorn sports. And he's got this big voice. And they're all around the green. Everyone's hugging, interviews going on. This guy just starts singing Eyes of Texas, which I don't know if you're familiar with the song, but it's it's to the tune of I've been working on the railroad. And he just yeah, starts yeah, belting yeah, it, yeah. just starts belting it. Not and with- so it ended up being a cool moment. Like all the, everyone just stopped and put their horns up and just started singing it. And so that was kind of the, the exclamation point or kind of a fitting into that, that tournament. Um, and then of course, Cody Gribble dropped the trophy and there's a big scratch on it, but. Oh, I didn't know that. Not song is not without controversy. That, that may have been part <laughs> That's of Tom true. Herman's. Uh, but at the time, well. I, mean, I mean, at the time, yeah, I don't believe yeah, there was any controversy. Yeah, so. yeah. Hey, um, I guess this is a larger question. Should Texas golf, be like, I don't know, it's hard to put fields better? in crosshairs. Yeah. Better? Better than it is. Win more than... And, and this is like the same question we have with their football team, right? Like, the pedigree, the money, the... Allegedly, like, it's uh, it's a very, you know, competitive state, but it's supposed to be the top dog. Like, I don't know. Should they just be more consistently always in the national title picture or winning more yeah. national titles? Yeah, and I, I don't think that recently in the last decade or so, like since 2012, they obviously haven't won. But they've they've given themselves some some chances. They've been in the final twice. 2016, yeah. we remember, with Scotty Scheffler, Doug in, Bo Hostler. Bo Hostler gets sniped, tears his shoulder, labor him in the semis, yeah. and, and they play they play Oregon four four versus five. So they, they spot Oregon a point before anyone ever hits a golf shot. So that was kind of bad luck. And then 2019, uh, Cole Hammer, Pearson Cootie, Parker Cootie, their freshman year, they upset Oklahoma State 
Um, the year that Matt Wolf won the individual title, everyone thought Oklahoma State was the best team of all time. They upset them in the semis and just kind of run out of gas because they had to play Stanford early in the morning because of tornadoes and stuff coming through later. So they've had their chances. They've won a bunch of Big 12 titles. But I think I, I think that's fair to say that maybe not quite I mean, as bad as the football team, but yeah, they've definitely yeah. underachieved. And then last it's, year they, they laid an egg. Um, they yeah. missed the 54-hole cut when – they had to play a million tournaments, but right. It's sort of just the hard questions that come with being Texas, right? With fo- football, I mean, it's been super underwhelming and, and I don't know. I just wonder like, I mean, golf is even more sort of fickle certainly that than football, like I mentioned, but well, they have to play the Burley boys at, every year. Yeah, I mean, they, true. they got to go toe to toe. It's, it takes a lot that's out of true. them, you know, to, to be rubbing, you know, <laughs> elbows with the Burley boys for all year. Where, um, where do you think like, I mean, golf channel is a big part of this, but it feels like college golf. I don't know if this was some sort of igniter for it, this 2012 edition, but college golf feels like it's in a really, at least the, the, the championships. And I know golf channel played a big part in kind of sort of pushing it, getting more non-tour rights and other, other competitions. Um, I don't know, but it feels like the interest, like it's not just Golf Channel pushing it, but like it feels like people are much more receptive to it. And it's, it's, and I don't know if this one sort of set it on a larger or, or a different path, but do you feel that way? Like it's, it's bigger and stronger than ever. And this was a part of it. Yeah. And I, I wish I could have put this kind of in there more. I mean, this thing got to be a beast, like once I was all done with it. But that was something that was like a common thread that, all these coaches talking to Will Haskett, who did the, who was the host of the live stream on NCAA.com, talking to Steve Burkowski. I mean, all of them, all of them agreed that 2012 was kind of the impetus to getting college golf back on TV. Cause I think golf channel had some sort of NCAA contract, some sort of rights back in the two thousands when it was still stroke play. But for the previous four or five years, it had been, live streamed on ncw.com and so yeah they they all agree that that was the week that people realized and discussions may have or may not have already been in the works to try to get it back on golf channel but certainly that week if anything it just kind of solidified the fact that you know look at all these great players and no one really got to see it except for a few holes for you know a few days and so now, I mean, imagine if, if this was on TV and you had all this footage and that was kind of the hard part in kind of going back through. And luckily, I, I got to give a shout out to my coworker, Ari Marcus. He did a great job going back through our archives and finding all this raw footage of all these moments because no one had ever seen that Spieth hole out before um, unless they were yeah. watching the highlights live that happened to be that day. Like that shot wasn't archived. So all these years of asking Spieth and JT the same question at the Genesis about 15 and the hole out. Now people can actually see the shot. And if this was on TV, you would have so, so many highlights. Like we may have already had a oral history at five years. Um, There may have been a video component, but yeah, I I think it definitely, this was the tournament that, I mean, like I said, and other people said it was the greatest championship of, of all time. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, some of those Yale wins back in the early, early 1900s may have been pretty <laughs> exciting as well. But uh, but yeah, this this was a special one. It definitely solidified, certainly, college golf's like the format, I think. Certainly, it, it helped solidify that, that they were, knew they were on the right track for that and everything. Like, uh, I, I don't know. It just it's the one you still talk about 10 years ago. And you did that. 
uh, at golfchannel.com. This is a really good oral history there. You can go read it. Uh, this was a monster of a flashback Friday, but that's kind of what we expected. It's its own episode. I uh, felt like it was worth it. You know, it's a little different, but uh, well, we you. had the uh, the expert and insight, expertise and insight here. We figured we'd go long on, on sort of a, maybe it's a spotlight, flashlight, kind of on the greatest NCAAs ever uh, with a bunch of characters that we obviously know now and, and at a, a venue that we basically, you can say what hole and immediately we know how, how it looks and what it looks like. So in Riviera. Brentley, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brennan. I think this is my second appearance on Shotgun Start, so um, hopefully this too. was uh, right. hopefully this was an improvement over the first one. I mean, I there weren't any Stiggy Hodgkins stories this time, but uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully I still gave the yeah. uh, sickos what they want. It was great. It was great. Really appreciate it. You can go to golfchannel.com to read Brentley's work. Uh, we will be back with you. I think. On Sunday night, maybe Monday morning, it's Memorial Day weekend, but uh, we'll be back with you on uh, Monday. Uh, Enjoy your weekends. (laughs) 